Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application layering product on the market. And of course, also brought to you by PolicyPack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, mitigate ransomware, and more. If you enjoy the show each week, you've them to thank. And now let's get into some news. While it may be too late for Zoom to redeem themselves in the eyes of some, it was heartening to see them take pretty swift action and address some of the security holes in the product and shortcomings, including removing the meeting ID from view. You may recall on last week's episode, I shared that UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson shared a screenshot of a meeting with his cabinet from Zoom on Twitter that had the meeting ID in view. Well, that won't be a risk anymore for those who are maybe a little not so tech savvy and don't realize they're sharing their meeting ID publicly. They also made the use of a meeting lobby the default option now to prevent Zoom bombing, which I bet we've all seen videos or heard the stories about, such as the one I covered last week of people joining other people's meetings and showing profane videos on the live stream. They've also opted to now set by default that only hosts have the ability to share their screen. Last week, Zoom also admitted that some data and calls got routed through China by mistake. They claim it was a mistake, so for customers, that's really a question of trust and belief. Some feel very uneasy about that. Whatever your opinion is, I think it's good that they took quick, decisive action at least. As I'm sure is not a surprise to anyone, ThreatPost.com this week reported on an ongoing phishing campaign that is tricking victims with a recycled Cisco security advisory warning of a critical vulnerability. The campaign urges its victims to update only to then steal their credentials for Cisco's WebEx web conferencing. For those unfortunate people who click on the join button, they are redirected to the phishing landing page, which is identical to the actual legitimate Cisco WebEx login page. Researchers have said that one small difference is that when email addresses are typed into the actual usual legitimate WebEx page, entries are checked to verify if there are any associated accounts, whereas on the phishing page, any email format entry takes the recipient directly to the next page to request their password. The bad actor in this instance registered the fraudulent domain tied to the landing page through the public domain registry just days before sending out its first phishing emails. The fraudulent domain was still alive and active as of the middle of this week. Over the last couple of weeks, I covered announcements from vendors about canceling changes or even version releases, including that of Google Chrome version 82, which has been completely canned. This week, it was announced that Microsoft would delay disabling support for TLS version 1.0 and 1.1 until July. I've seen some online criticizing the move, suggesting that they are enforcing bad behavior, but personally, I appreciate the move for Microsoft and other companies out there who are doing the same thing to give overworked IT teams and customers a respite during these trying times. 
I don't believe in my current environment I'd be affected by this change, but all the same, I'm sure for others it's good to know that it's one less thing they have to worry about for now. Speaking of security in these coronavirus times, Tech Republic shared some interesting information and metrics this week that suggest coronavirus-themed attacks have been proving more successful than usual phishing campaigns. I guess it's not a surprise, really. This information just about the coronavirus is so all-consuming and it affects every single person on the planet, so it is pretty compelling and I'm sure it compels people to click on it. They report that from February 25th to March 25th, the volume of successful daily attacks rose from 200 to 6,400. The initial surge started on March 11th, the day the World Health Organization called the virus a pandemic, and it has been steadily growing ever since. Another vector used for attack in these times has been fake coronavirus tracking sites that look like the John Hopkins dashboard but are really hosting malware, and that's been tricking some people too. I've seen some people that were pretty annoyed too that internal InfoSec teams have been using coronavirus emails that look like they're coming from their internal management as fake phishing attempts to try and hook people within the organization. Which you can understand why they're doing it, especially with these numbers, 6,400, clicking those links in the emails and visiting malicious sites. Seems like an obvious one to get clicks on so I guess fooling the people and then reporting on it would be a good way to call their attention to it and hopefully get them to think before they click on anything in future but it's also preying on the anxieties that a lot of people are facing which does seem like it's kind of lousy. In some good news this week Microsoft have bought the corp.com domain You may remember this is a story I covered a few months ago. Corp.com was being sold by its owner for millions. There was a concern in the community that someone other than Microsoft might buy the domain. It was concerning because many test domains or even some default domains in corporate environments were built on top of that generic Corp.com domain. So whoever the owner is could possibly skim credentials data The owner of the domain at the time had said that he'd hoped that Microsoft would buy it, and it looks like his wish has come true, which is good for all of us. So way to go, Microsoft, for stepping up to buy it. And some more good news, or probably great news from a security perspective in particular, Azure Active Directory Premium P1 is coming to Microsoft 365 Business. So Microsoft 365 Business formerly had just a subset of Azure AD Premium Plan 1 capabilities, including conditional access, self-service password reset, and multi-factor authentication. With the addition of the full Azure AD Premium P1 license, customers will soon get the benefit of cloud app discovery, application proxy, dynamic groups, passwordless authentication, and more, all of which should help maintain secure access to work apps, whether they're at home or on the go. And it also brings up the possibility for customers of some other third-party products that are Azure integrated or Azure hosted to leverage these features too. On a recent episode, I shared info on a zero-day vulnerability in Firefox and the Tor browser. In good news, 
Mozilla have now patched this in their new version 74.0.1 or if you're on the ESR, it's ESR 68.6.1. In the article, Sophos have speculated that the zero-day vulnerability may have been in the product since version 68, which was around July 2019. So that one's been out there for quite a while, but it's good that they've now got it patched. And sticking with Sophos, Sophos have announced that they have made Sandboxy open source. The product, which was originally released 15 years ago, was a very early precursor to the current Windows Sandbox feature that Microsoft have released. That's not to say that Microsoft bought Sandboxy, they just developed and released a similar feature. Sophos previously made Sandboxy free in 2019 but have now decided to make it open source. So way to go, Sophos. The community challenge I mentioned last week that will see contenders competing against each other to see who can build an environment the fastest with Citrix virtual apps and desktops going up against Horizon has now been moved to April 23rd and it'll be at 3 p.m. Eastern. ControlUp have said they will share a calendar invite and more details in future, so follow Control Up on Twitter to make sure you don't miss that. Congratulations to Devolutions on becoming SOC 2 certified for their Password Hub product. This is a pretty big deal because as a password hub and central store for an enterprise password manager, such a certification will go a long way to selling to customers and getting past the Initial vetting of InfoSec teams, I bet. Version 10.3.9 of the Microsoft Remote Desktop Client for Mac has been released to the App Store. Some of the features include the fact that the Control Option Delete will now trigger Control Alt Delete. Previously, you were required to hit the Function button too. They also fixed the Keyboard Mode Notification Color Scheme for Light Mode and addressed scenarios where connections initiated using the gateway access token RDP file did not work. So for those features and fixes, upgrade your remote desktop client for Mac today. Tim Mangan has updated his awesome MSIX report card for April 2020. So sign up today and check it out for all of the latest with the product, what works, what doesn't work, and how effective using the package support framework can be in getting over some of those challenges. If you're in application delivery in an enterprise environment or on an end user computing team, this is something that you really should sign up to, to keep on top of what's going on with MSIX. Microsoft have posted a survey that they're hoping to use to try and better understand the specific challenges people are facing with Microsoft 365 and remote work. So if you're working remotely like a lot of us are right now and you'd like to contribute, I'll share a link to the survey with this episode, which is episode 119 on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And finally, James Bulbin shared an amazing video this week. So we've all seen people putting funny background images in their Zoom and Teams chats. James himself, for example, took a screenshot of a co-worker's own background of his actual office with the bookcase behind him and then set it as his own background. So he's on a video chat with Christian, who's like the CTO of Citrix, 
and they're both sitting in front of the same bookcase. Top trolling, James. But he took it to a whole other level this week. He filmed a video of himself in the background and then overlaid it with his stream for amazing results. It's a video of him bringing himself a drink while he's on a live call with his co-workers. It's really amazing. And James shared a blog that serves as a how-to for showing you what he did to achieve all of that sorcery. Do yourself a favor and check out the video. I'll share with this episode, which is episode 119 on 5 Bytes podcast.com and you'll find it under reference links and now this episode scripts tricks and tips daniel vicklund shared some info on twitter this week warning that kb4541329 on windows 2016 rds or citrix is crashing citrix wem if users have network printers And what's happening is that users get a pop-up saying that the VUEM agent with UI has stopped working. The fix, right now at least, is to uninstall the patch. Thanks for sharing that, Daniel. James Rankin has provided some information for FSLogix customers who noticed user group policies failing. He suggested checking a registry, which is HKLM, Software, Microsoft Windows, Current Version, Group Policy, Data Store, and the SID of the user, and to delete that SID. He also recommended not ex- excluding app data slash local slash group policy in your redirections.xml. And that seemed to kick up a bit of dust with Jim Moyle chiming in, warning customers against dinking around with the redirections. I guess part of the charm of FSLogix is its simplicity, and he suggests you sh- simply should not need to make these types of changes. Christian Brinkoff has also shared some information for anyone having failed installs of Microsoft Teams on VDI. He suggests adding a registry key. HKLM Software Microsoft Teams is WVD environment, which should be a D word and setting it to one. Guy Leach's awesome PowerShell session on his top 10 PowerShell commands for troubleshooting from the recent virtual expo has been posted online for all to enjoy and learn from. I suggest checking out that video. He's got some really great tips. There's a really great blog post on mycoster.com this week where he's providing a handy script for creating a device collection based on client devices that are running VPN. This could be handy for those who have outlying machines that are running VPN due to the remote work surge that maybe need to be treated with some kid gloves. They can't just have normal application deployments. They need specialized care. So being able to create specific collections for those could be a good idea, and this will help you do that. In one of the more significant tips that I've featured probably on any of the podcasts that I've done, James Rankin shared a really amazing setting called Fast First Sign-In for Windows 10 that dramatically improves login times. In fact, from his demo, it looks like it cuts the first login time in almost half. And it's available for any Windows 10 that's version 1809 or higher. I believe he said that Nikki Callen collaborated and helped him with this blog post, so good job, guys. And last but not least, the awesome Brandon Mitchell shared a blog post on profile management at scale. 
So if you're not familiar with Brandon, he works in an organization that's pretty large. In fact, in his article, he mentions that there's 65,533 named users. Now, he suggests that that's his scale. And if you're thinking, well, you know, I'm nowhere near that large of an organization. I don't work in that large of an environment, so this might not apply to me. It could still apply to you. I found it really interesting because he's using a mix of technologies and products, including user home directories, Citrix profile management, both FSLogic's profile and Office 365 containers, and even Microsoft UEV. And Brandon goes through each one of those and how it's configured and even has some scripts that can help you get started in creating like the user home directories and setting the correct permissions and what he's done with the other products too. For me, it was really interesting because you know, I'm using stuff like user home directories, Citrix profile management, WEM, and hopefully bringing in FSLogic's profile and Office 365 containers. And more recently, I thought about possibly using Microsoft UEV as well. I think it's just a really easy and handy way to specifically target certain application settings and have them roam. So it was kind of heartening to me to see someone who's baking all of those different products together and presumably they're working quite well. And as with everything I mention on the podcast each week, I'll share links to every single one of these tips on 5bytespodcast.com with episode 119 under reference links. That's it for another week. Thank you all so much for listening and stay safe, everybody.